as a sophomore, which was my first time as St. Holobero, we ended up, our team came second in conference, which was huge. And we ended up going to the NCAAs for the first time in school history, actually, for volleyball, which was just so crazy and so, so exciting for a, you know, small little school like us. And that was also the year that I was an All-American. What a lot of people don't know is that I actually went back to Seton Hall early that summer. So I was there about two months earlier than um, all the other girls needed to be. Me and a couple other girls on the team were very serious about that upcoming season. I was going to be the sophomore and I wanted that libero spot. So I came early. I, you know, again, was lifting weights almost every day, was trying to get as much gym time as I could. There was only two other girls that came with me, two to three, and we just would go in the gym at least two two hours a day, and whether it was defense or serving, or we just tried to make the best of the time that we had and just really push ourselves because we wanted it that year. We were we knew that we had an amazing, talented team, and we were so excited about the season, and we just wanted to push ourselves. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the HNL Movement Podcast. Thank you for joining me again for another week. If you're new to the podcast, welcome and hope you enjoy a lot of these episodes and also check out a lot of the previous episodes with guest interviews, solo episodes, a lot of tips to just really elevate your performance and improve the overall quality of your life. All of the returning listeners, thanks so much for joining me again. If you haven't already and you've really enjoyed some of the episodes, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast, give five stars, and also leave a helpful review so other people can find the podcast. Let's jump into this week's episode. I have a very exciting guest, really enjoyed this conversation. And this week we have Tessa Fournier. She is the better half of Kupono Face. So if you haven't heard that episode, great conversations with Kupono too. But Tessa has a great story. Grew up in California in the Redondo Beach area, big, big volleyball community, and she's excelled all throughout high school, got recruited to play at Seton Hall, excelled there, and she has a great story of how she's worked so hard, extremely hard, persevered through injuries, obstacles, and it really has made her not only a great volleyball player, but also a great person, and it helps her to this day. So without giving away too many details, listen into this episode. Tessa shares a lot of great stories and experiences, and I really had a lot of fun recording this episode with her. So let's jump straight into it. Welcome back, everyone. We have a very special guest, Tessa Fournier, and she is, we actually met through Kupono, who you are Kupono's better half. So welcome yeah. to the podcast, and thanks <laughs> thank so you. much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um super excited to be on here. I'm so excited to hear some of your stories. Honestly, to be completely honest, I don't know much about you. So we're going to dive into your experiences and your story all in this episode right right here. So you grew up in Southern California, I believe. Yeah. And why don't you start there? Share a little bit about your upbringing, how you actually found volleyball as your sport and what it was like growing up in Southern California. 
So I was born and raised in Redondo Beach, California, um, which is pretty close to Santa Monica in LA. I'm a third child, so I have an older brother, Brett, and a young, or an older sister, Brooke, as well. Uh, we're a pretty athletic family. Everyone played sports growing up. We were mostly soccer. And then as uh, my brother and sister got older, they started to get into volleyball. And I was only into soccer. I never thought that I would ever play volleyball. I was a, such a tomboy. I would never wear spandex or anything like that. And then I just started playing. And I remember I got onto my first club team. I was an 11-year-old on a 14s team. And that was pretty crazy. But I ended up loving it, quit soccer, started playing and focusing only on volleyball. And from there, kind of just flourished into this amazing experience I had. Um, I went to high school actually with my sister. She was a senior when I was a freshman, um, which was a pretty interesting experience. And our mom was also the vice principal of that high school. So another crazy experience that not a lot of kids have. But I played um, on varsity as a freshman with my sister, who was a senior. And a lot of people love to play with their with their siblings and I just, it was not a great experience for us. Um, she was the setter and I was a DS or libero and we just did not, it's funny, we didn't get along as well, but as we grew up, we're, we're very close. She's one of my best friends and a couple, a couple months ago, she, when she was here during COVID, she said, Tess, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, I was really mean to you when I was in high school and when we were playing and I guess I didn't really realize it or looking back on it now I go, oh, I guess, yeah, I guess you're a little, little mean to me, but I thought you were just treating me like any freshman. So, <laughs> but growing up, yeah, our family is just super, super competitive in everything we do to this day. It's just, everything is a competition, whether it's, whether it's a sport, a board game, the birth of a child, we're always making bets or competing about everything. So Yes. We'll get to the competitiveness in a second. And you can share some of your stories too about the competitiveness through COVID. Um, we've heard Kupono's side of all of the competition when the first shutdown happened, but we'll get to that in a second. So it's really interesting that you didn't start playing volleyball till you were 11. So up until yeah. then you were playing soccer. And what was it? Did you really like soccer or what was it about soccer that made it easier to say, okay, I'm going to focus my efforts on volleyball now. I think, so I started playing soccer as every kid does, just AYSO. Um, and then I just, I guess, realized that, okay, I'm pretty, pretty good at this. So let's, let's join club now and then played in club. I think it ended up being a pretty easy decision for me because I was a forward and we were going to, I can't even remember, a big tournament or something. And our goalie had just quit. And they said, oh, Tess, you're going to go play goalie for us. And I go, no, I don't think I am. So, And that was kind of my parents made me decide because they said, you're not going to play club soccer and club volleyball. So you got to pick one. Which one do you really love? And which one do you see yourself playing in the future? And I chose volleyball, which surprises me to this day. But I, I'm so happy I made that decision because – I can't yes. imagine playing soccer. <laughs> yeah, it worked out great for your journey. So did when you were growing up too, I have to ask all these athletes, did you try other sports or was it pretty much just soccer and volleyball? Um, I played a little bit of basketball. Other than that, yeah, it was just soccer and volleyball mostly. 
So when you started diving into club volleyball and eventually you made Vars as a freshman, so, you know, obviously you were having success in volleyball. What was it about, you can share a little bit about this, Southern California versus Hawaii. What was the club scene like for volleyball? What's the culture like for volleyball? And that did that really help to sharpen your skills at a young age? Yes. I mean, club volleyball in Southern California is just crazy. You will have a hundred teams within a 30 mile radius. Whereas compared to on Island, you're going to have maybe a total of 10 or 15. And that's what I didn't really understand because at least every other weekend in California, you had a, whether it was a three day tournament or just a Sunday, but you had a tournament almost every weekend and you're playing different teams. You know, you would sometimes play the same teams, but it was never that you're playing the same teams six, seven times in a, in a season or in a, you know, in a tournament. So when I got here, I was it really opened up my eyes to, oh my gosh, they do not have a lot of competition here. It's just the same teams that they play over and over. And, you know, that kind of, it stinks for the girls because you want to be able to get the experience of playing other people and, you know, other girls that you're not, you're not playing in high school, that you're not playing against in club. Um, so it's, it's always good when they do travel to the mainland to those tournaments. That's always super exciting for them as well. But it's just very, very different than how how I how I started my or what my club experience was as you know in high school and when I started. Very, very different over here, and even for our yes. high school too. So with that many teams, you know, in Southern California, and you're playing so much variety of competition right are there different divisions or how how's the competition and how was the competition when you were growing up uh the competition when i was growing up was pretty big so i actually lived in redondo beach but i went to high school in torrance because that's where my mom worked so our conference or whatever you want to call it was pretty competitive and then we have what is called cif cif is basically they take all the top teams from your conferences and then you end up playing it playing each other once you win CIF you'll then go to states so in a lot of different states or I know and when I went to school in college girls would be from Wisconsin oh I won states I'm like I don't even know anyone that's won states in California because that's just crazy if you do I mean it, and then you'll end up playing until you know Christmas time or whatever it is because it just it's such a prolonged time frame with that but um, yeah, I went to, or the schools around us that a lot of people might know is Redondo High is very competitive in volleyball, uh, Miracosta, schools like that. Um, and we always had to travel pretty far too. Um, for CIF, we would sometimes have to uh, drive three to four hours just for one game. It's a crazy experience. And I, I love playing and growing up in Southern California because I don't think that you get that in a lot of places. Yes, definitely. And Southern California, I mean, they're pretty known for volleyball. So you probably have a lot of players that go on to play the next level. And, you know, just the competition, like you said, there's so much variety, but it's high quality competition, too. Yeah. So let's talk about a little bit your high school career. Being on the varsity as a freshman, right? Was that something that was an easy transition for you? Or how was that experience? Because not only are you playing good competition, but you're playing as a freshman too. So a lot of development happens in those four years. So touch on that a little bit. 
So I had a pretty unique situation because I went to a private school, kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, and then my freshman year, I ended up going to a public high school. And that was, in itself was just a transition, right? I grew up going to school with the same 30 kids for nine years. And then um, I go to a high school that I don't know anyone. It was interesting because making varsity as a freshman, I'm, no, I'm not with any girls my age. Right. I'm the only freshman that is then coming. It almost kind of put a target on my back because a lot of the girls did not were not a fan of me when I first came in. I, I didn't really understand because they, I guess they just like, oh, she's only she only made the team because of her sister, because of her mom. And then a month went by and they finally saw me play. And then they were like, oh, OK, now we understand why she's on the team. And then, you know, we'll we'll be friends now. But it was a little difficult in the beginning because I just didn't know anyone and I almost didn't have the chance to meet anyone because of because of my situation which is pretty unique having your parent work at the school and an older sister but definitely so in that four-year span was your team pretty successful was it more of a challenge how how did that those high school years play out um I believe I'm pretty sure sorry it's so long ago now but we were usually pretty successful. We almost always won um, our conference or division is what you want to say. And then we always ended up, whether it was losing in the finals of CIF or the semifinals of CIF. Um, I know when my, my freshman year, I believe we lost in the finals and same with my senior year, it was the semifinals. So that's exciting to have a lot yeah, of success. It was, yes. It was exciting. Um, and then it's fun because the girls that you're playing against in high school, you will sometimes play in club too. And that's just, there's so many different teams again in club that you're not at least going to know. You're at least going to know one girl from, from each club team because you either play with them or you played against them in high school or so that, that is also the fun part is you, you start making those relationships with people you don't really know, but then when you see them at a tournament, um, it's always fun to play against just, that another competitive, you know, rivalry and stuff like that. That's very true. And even though you, you describe Southern California volleyball as being so many teams and so big and everything, it's still in the volleyball world. It's still a small world. You still yeah. see all of the same faces occasionally and play against the same players or play with the people that, you know, you played with before. So that's really interesting to hear. Now, you, you did mention, this is before we started recording, you did mention that it's pretty common for everyone to commit, if they're going to play at the next level in college, to commit relatively early. So being on Vars as a freshman, and you mentioned that you committed to your college, Seton Hall, in your sophomore year. So that means that that freshman year really, really was crucial for you to get good film, get all of the skills and the experience that you need so that you could commit that early. Talk a yeah. little bit about that. Like, how is it different with the players that you know and that you've been around? Is it really common to commit that early, like as a sophomore? I do think when you're on the mainland, it is um, a lot more common to commit early. I think sophomore year is still pretty early to commit, but junior year is usually the year that you're going to um, verbally commit. I think that when you're in the mainland and especially in California, you just, you're seen a lot more because there's so many tournaments, whether it's high school or club, 
that coaches are coming from everywhere. Um, I know my coaches from college, they actually saw me in a Las Vegas tournament, which um, I went to every single year since I was probably 12, 13 years old. We would always go to the, the Las Vegas Classic, and that's where they ended up seeing me. So it is, it's a lot harder in Hawaii because you're only going to the mainland a couple times for some tournaments, whereas California, you know, you're – Coaches are flying in almost every week and they come and recruit and scout players. That is definitely really different here. I mean, there's a lot more reliance on film, video, highlights. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they do try to give that ex- exposure with a couple times a year going to these big tournaments for these Hawaii girls. So now you got you know this exposure. How did you get in touch with the Seton Hall coaches? Was it purely through the tournament and then it just built from there? Or was this something that you were, you showed interest in that school? And what was the journey like? They had contacted my coaches and said that they were interested. And uh, there's a couple other schools. Most of them were actually on the East Coast that were interested. So my dad and I ended up making a trip out and visiting all those colleges. Um, I really just got along with the coaches there. Um, It's a very small school. There's only 10,000 people, which is, or 10,000 students. And that's, pretty small for for a college and it's mostly a commuter school which means athletes are really the only ones that are on campus or or are living there I yeah I did do we went to Fairfield Rutgers Columbia Seton Hall all in that one weekend and I I just liked again the coaches the girls what they what they stood for and I the personalities that was a big a big reason for me as well. I felt like I got along really well with the coaches and with the girls, which is something that not a lot of people, not a lot of people can say about, about either. So uh, we came back, we talked a lot, my dad or my parents and I talked, sat down, talked a lot. And I actually remember I was driving back, my dad and I drove to club practice and that's when we made the call to commit, which was pretty exciting. The recruiting journey is exciting for anybody that's going to play at the next level. And I'm glad that it went so smoothly. And, you know, you got to really see what the culture, the team, the players were like, because that is a big part, especially if you're going to be there for the next four years. It's huge. Yeah. Did you have any connections? Like, did you know anybody from your area or district or school that played at Seton Hall, even if it was before you? No, I didn't know anyone. So you were kind of paving your own way. Yes. No coaches or anything that had a connection to your school or high school. Nothing. No, (laughs) nothing. Yeah. So now you're, let's talk a little bit about that transition. So in high school, nothing to take away from your high school career, but it sounds like you had a lot of success. What was that like coming out of high school? you know, being immersed into this volleyball world. And now you're going flying across the country to the East Coast. And now you're kind of like starting all over, like how it was your freshman year in high school. It's kind of a repeat and jumping into this new system, new place and everything. What was that experience like for you? It was crazy. I mean, I'm not going to lie, but I, like you said, going from California, moving basically as far away as I can back uh, to New Jersey, it was definitely an experience, uh, whether it was my first winter there, which was the worst winter they said they'd had in 50 years. So that was just snowing all the time. Different people over there on the, um, on the East Coast, you know, New Jersey and New Yorkers, 
I know I can definitely say that I will never um, want to live in New Jersey, <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm totally glad that I experienced something new. And I always tell uh, girls that are looking at schools, I, I definitely try to push them out of their comfort zone a little bit, just so they're going to be able to experience something that they never would in reality. Um, I love that I did choose going somewhere away from my parents and my family, which was a great experience. But like I said, I know I will never want to end up in New Jersey. <laughs> Definitely the experience teaches you a lot, even if it's just for a short term. Now, on yeah. that note, I didn't really ask, but were you widely recruited in other areas like on the West Coast and other colleges as well? I was recruited by some schools on the West Coast as well, um, some in the Midwest too. As a libero, you're not getting a lot of full rides to places. And that was kind of the deal that I had with my parents. Um, if they're going to be playing for club volleyball, which is very expensive in California, then I'm going to need to get some type of scholarship. And so that's really the schools that I focused on were the ones that were offering me. So what did they offer you at Seton Hall, if you don't mind sharing a little bit? And did that definitely sway your decision to commit to there? Yes, it definitely did. They offered me first three full years. And then later on, I ended up getting a, um, offered a half a year as well. So it's three and a half years. So I always like to brag to my siblings that I was the, the cheapest <laughs> uh, college. <laughs> college tuition. Yeah, my, my tuition was the cheapest. <laughs> yeah. So now you're in the mix. Did you actually start as a freshman when you got there? Because you mentioned that you did not redshirt, so you got thrown into the mix. And what was that transition like playing at the Division One level now? So um, I did start as a freshman. I was a DS. Our libero on the team was a senior. It was a big transition. I'm um, not going to lie. It's, there's nothing I feel like that you can actually do to prepare yourself for it because until you get to that level and you're playing with girls that are, you know, so much more talented than you. And then you're going to kind of realize, okay, this is what I have to do. I'm going to have to work hard, push myself and just try to outplay and outshine people. So my freshman year, I came in, I was super, super skinny, this tiny little thing. And that's when I took, I tried to take uh, lift weights really seriously, try and get a little stronger and I, it ended up working and I got a starting starting spot as a DS as a freshman, which was pretty exciting. That is definitely exciting. So I'm glad you touched on that. So in high school and things in California with volleyball, club volleyball, is there a lot of focus on strengthening for your sport or any type of strength and conditioning? When I was in high school and in club, there they were not really worried about lifting or anything like that I know towards my senior year they they my club team actually got a little more into lifting but then again we're only there two day two two times a week and for two hours so you're not going to necessarily waste a lot of time with lifting you'd rather you know get as many touches as you can or start practicing six on six and stuff so it was not focused on a lot uh, when I was in high school. And that, I think that's across the board because there's just not enough time or not enough resources too. You know, you don't have a place yeah. that you can work out with uh, your team or facilities and all of that. So it is something that you definitely develop and hone your volleyball skills first. And then typically most people, when they get to college, they realize, okay, these people are all talented. 
just like you said, it's time to start to do some of the things off the court to get me stronger so that I can compete a little bit more. Now, when you started lifting in college, was that something that was naturally like something that you enjoyed or was it, how, how was that experience? Because it is new. It was a unique experience, I think. Uh, So I remember going into, so I was a senior in high school about to go in, in the summer and they emailed us, our trainer at um, Seton Hall emailed us, here's some things that you can do over the summer. And I remember getting in, I just had no idea what any of these exercises were or what any of these lifts were. So that was kind of an eye opening experience. So then I was like, shoot, I really need to, you know, step up my game right now. So it helped a little bit that they prepared you. And then I thought I did not want to be the one, you know, last in, in running or, or not knowing how to do stuff. So I was super grateful that they did end up showing that, but I, lifting is, is tough for me. Uh, I feel like I'm always injured. So, <laughs> and I hate saying, oh, you know, this hurts or this hurts. So I ended up just lifting anyways, which is not the best thing to do. <laughs> Yes. And we'll get to some of the, the experiences dealing with the injuries in a second too. So now you're fully in the mix. Sounds like you got stronger, right? You put a lot of hard work in the weight room too, and as well as on the court. What were some of the big lessons you think you learned that helped to achieve some of that success as a collegiate volleyball player? I think, um, and it's easy for me now to say as a coach as well, but when your coaches do stop you or tell you to do something, you need to make that change right away. Cause I think a lot of players and I'll say this too. I walked into the gym, like, like I was the best thing there, you know, and they put me down real quick. Like, no, you had a lot to learn still. So, and just being open to learn as well and just working hard for me, it was not stopping till the ball was completely done just giving it your all, whether, whether, you know, you're going to get a ball or not, just diving, rolling, doing something, just showing the effort that you want to be there. You want to be on the court and you want to be playing. That probably comes a little bit more natural to you because of the willing to compete and that competitive nature in you. So that's really good to hear. Now, when you were in college, I mean, you're going to be really humble about this, but I have to ask. So you have a lot of accolades individual and your team did really well too so explain a little bit about that like what did that mean to you you know how much work did you have to put in that people don't see all of the stuff outside of the game time situation right so explain a little bit about those awards i believe you were like big east libero of the year a couple times you're all american explain some of your awards and what that entailed to achieve that kind of level of success so my sophomore, junior, and senior year, I was libero of the year, the youth libero of the year. And as a sophomore, which was my first time as Seton Hall libero, we ended up, our team came second in conference, which was huge. And we ended up going to the NCAAs for the first time in school history, actually, for volleyball, which was just so crazy and so, so exciting for a, you know, small little school mm-hmm. like us. And that was also the year that I was an All-American What a lot of people don't know is that I actually went back to Seton Hall early that summer. So I was there about two months earlier than um, all the other girls needed to be. Me and a couple other girls on the team were very serious about that upcoming season. I was going to be the sophomore and I wanted that libero spot. So I came early. I 
you know, again, was lifting weights almost every day, was trying to get as much gym time as I could. There was only two other girls that came with me, two to three, and we just would go in the gym at least two two hours a day, and whether it was defense or serving, or we just tried to make the best of the time that we had and just really push ourselves because we wanted it that year. We were We knew that we had an amazing, talented team, and we were so excited about the season, and we just wanted to push ourselves. That's really good to hear, and that's a good message to share too. And it's not because you want to, you know, showcase that that year was successful. But I often tell this to all of my athletes, like what they see, what people see in the season or at the game, you know, that's only a snippet of all of the work that they had to put in. And I'm yeah. a firm believer that it's the off season that determines how well that season is going to go for you and how much you can contribute to the team. So just yeah. going up early, putting in that extra work, getting your body in condition and prepare yourself to perform at that high level consistently I think that really, really helped. And obviously it showed. I mean, you were gained, yeah. you, you earned the All-American honors. And I mean, that's an accomplishment for anybody. It doesn't matter what school that you're at. So now going through, fast forwarding through your college career, are there anything that you kind of look back on and are really proud of? Or what are some of the best memories of your collegiate experience? One of my best memories is definitely our the finals game for our conference that my sophomore year, uh, we played Creighton. I think we ended up taking them and, or we lost in four, but just being there and we were never really, we were always ranked fifth or sixth in the preseason total, right in the middle of the pack. And just to kind of come in and surprise everyone, you know, with a, a new sophomore libero. And after our, after the season that we had last year, uh, which wasn't very good and just kind of coming in and surprising everyone. And I know we, we pretty much dominated in, I think blocking that year digs sets and we were like in the top for kills. So it just shows that, like you said before, hard work does pay off because I'm going to tell you now the four girls that ended up going early were the ones that were leading the conference in, in the kills or the digs and stuff like that. That was definitely one of my favorite was the game with Creighton. And then just going and experiencing the NCAAs, that is just so special in itself and so grateful to be able to experience it at least once. And just, it's so exciting when you're, you're watching and you're going to see if your name gets put up because you don't really have a bid. And I think sophomore year was definitely the most memorable for me, but I also then had to grow my junior and senior year my recruiting class was pretty unique. Um, we only actually had two of my grade and then one below us. So that junior year was a big rebuilding year. And it's, it's tough from going to making the NCAAs and then, oh, you have seven new freshmen coming in and only two, two upperclassmen. So I think that year was definitely a very interesting year. Um, I learned a lot from it, you know, how to motivate these seven new freshmen who half of them are probably going to be starters, how to interact with each one of them differently, how to motivate them, you know, as a, as a junior captain, it was a lot, a lot to kind of put on my shoulders as well and kind of not stop focusing on myself, but okay, you need to help these, <laughs> these younger girls. Cause you were them two years ago and you, you know how it is. Um, actually a lot of them were from California as well. So it was, it was a good thing that I was there for them, I think. 
Yes, I'm sure you were a great mentor and you know upperclassman figure for them, especially with all of the hard work that you put in. You can lead by example too. Now, I do want to get into some of the injuries that you had to overcome and deal with throughout your career. But first, before we get to college, was there any significant injuries that kept you out for a period of time when you were growing up in high school? In high school, that's actually when I hurt my back. Um, other than that, not really, no, just little things here and there, but nothing, mm-hmm. nothing serious. Let's talk about the back for a little bit. So you always played defense, libero. Were you ever yeah. a hitter in club or anything? Um, in high school, I ended up hitting my senior year just, just to mess around with it. Um, but other than that, no, just always defense. Got it. So what happened when you injured your back initially and how did that play out through your high school years? So it was um, my sophomore year going into, no, excuse me, junior year going into senior year. We were just practicing in summer and I went up, we were all hitting, right? And as I know a lot of defensive players, all the barrows, they love to just get up there and jump in the hitting lines and stuff. And that's exactly what I did. I went up to hit and I just remember having this like searing pain on the left side of my back. And I came down like, ooh, that did not feel good at all. And then I tried to kind of walk it off and it was still pretty hurting. So I ended up going to our athletic trainer. And still to this day, I am so shocked because he actually diagnosed it like right then and there. He goes, you could have this thing called PARS defect. Um, I'm not 100% sure you're obviously going to have to go get x-rays or MRIs, but this is, you know, what it looks like if you, you hyperextended. Um, it's very common in diving and football, they said. So ended up going to get an x-ray, and that's exactly what they said it was. They said that I had parse defect. That's great to hear that the athletic trainer was right <laughs> on point because it is actually very common, especially with all that hyperextension, you know, in hitters or in hitting, and it could be a cute in- incident, just like how you experience. So what did you do? Did you go to rehab and did it kind of calm down and it was okay for a long time? Or was it something that always kind of bothered you? So what they had told me when they first diagnosed is that there's two types of it. So you can either have it and it will heal on its own, or you're kind of going to be stuck with it forever. So I took, I think probably a month off, tried to rehab it. And then it just, it never, never felt better. Um, Yeah. And to to this day, it just not great. (laughs) Not going to lie. It kind of sucks. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's very interesting when you're at such a young age. I was 16 or 17 when this happened. And mm-hmm. I remember going to another doctor uh, with, with my dad who actually has back injuries as well. So I don't know if it runs in the family or <laughs> what, but we're in the, in the doctor's office and the doctor is actually prescribing me hydrocodone. And I'm just thinking, wow, I'm a, I'm a high schooler and this doctor's giving mm-hmm. me, you know, these pretty intense pain meds. Mm-hmm. And then I remember my parents sitting me down and basically telling me, this is not normal. Mm-hmm. This is not normal. Um, obviously, you have a pretty bad injury, but we need to, you need to be serious about this and not abuse it. And, you know, have had that talk with them, which was pretty good. And it, it kind of scared me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up not really taking, taking them a lot, but 
it's rough because when I, whether I'm sitting down for too long or I'm standing up for too long, bus rides, airplane rides, it's just, it's pretty brutal. So it's difficult when I'm at work now and I'm probably the youngest one by 15, 20 years. And mm -hmm. I'm the one that's like, Oh, I got to stand up and stretch like, my back's hurting me. And mm -hmm. everyone just kind of looks at me like, you're, you're 25 years old. What are you talking about? Yeah. So that is the unfortunate part, especially when it comes to any, any spine injuries or back injuries, but it sounded like you were able to still do all of the things that you wanted to do. And what kinds of things did you have to do to make sure that you took care of it and kind of alleviated some of the pain and stiffness, especially so you could play volleyball? Yeah. Lots of stretching. Um, I felt like I lived in the training room, to be honest. I was in there 30, 45 minutes before practice, heating it, rolling it out, stretching all that stuff. And then went to practice a couple hours and then would come back, uh, ice it, um, stretch it again. The thing that really helped me was cupping. That was the only thing that I still do to this day that gives me instant relief. Lasts only a couple days, but other than that, I never found anything else that, that really helped. Do you think that it affected your performance to a degree that it probably like you could have probably performed a lot better? Or do you think that once you're playing, once it's warm and everything, you felt like, no, you could do everything that you wanted to. It was more after the fact when you weren't doing activity. It was more so after the fact. Maybe if I served or I tweaked it a little bit during a game, then I would feel it. But once I got warm, I was, I was fine. I don't, I don't think it affected my play really at all, which thank that's, God it didn't. That's good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So did you ever get it? Just curious. Did you ever get it re-x-rayed recently or after college? And did they look at the defect and see? So to fill in a little bit of information, the defect is pretty much like a fracture. And that's what they're going to look at and kind of monitor. So did they ever re-x-ray it and see, like, is it getting worse? Is it progressing? Is there any osteoarthritis or things like that? I did get an x-ray um, when I was in college. I think I was home for the summer, but there was no new... Mm -hmm. nothing to that's nothing good new to, on yeah that's yeah. good to hear and part of it too is I think because you're active and you you still do all of the things like cupping stretching mobility work stay strong that really helps to take away some of the stress that's going into your lower back so it's good to hear that you're managing it I mean obviously you know you wish that it could be better but I think there's things that you are doing a lot to keep you functioning and preventing it from getting so bad that it really becomes debilitating for you. Now, moving on from your back. So this is something that you had to play through all of those years. Yeah. What other injuries did you have to overcome in your career? I broke my wrist my freshman year um, in a game, actually. Uh, we were playing my one of the outsides. We both went for a ball and she kind of ended up tackling me. Uh, she's about six foot a little bigger than me and when I fell I fell with my hand out like this mm. and she fell on top of me and I remember I got up everyone was like oh my god are you okay I was like yeah I'm fine I'm fine I'm I'm moving my wrist putting it up and down all good you know the ball's still going play's still going so and then after that set or we had a timeout and my athletic trainer came up to go are you okay like yeah I'm fine I'm fine 
And um, I remember she put like a piece of tape on it. She's like, oh, it's swelling up a little bit. I'm like, oh, whatever, I'm fine. And then after the third set or whenever we, we end up winning the game in three and we go into the locker room after and I look at it and it's pretty swollen at this point. I go, ooh, yeah, I think now I'm starting to, now I'm starting to feel it because all the adrenaline's gone, right? Mm-hmm. And so she gave me the option. She said, we can either go to the, you know, sit in the ER for five or six hours tonight and, or I can take you, you know, tomorrow morning. So it's fine. We'll just go tomorrow morning. We actually got an x-ray and my hand was so swollen. It wouldn't show up on the x-ray. Oh, so no. we, yeah. So then I had to wait another day <clears throat> to go get an MRI. And then like, yeah, you broke. Um, I can't even remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. The one that connects your thumb and your wrist. Mm-hmm. So broke that one. And then they put the cast on me. And I remember getting back into the training room and she said, all right, how are we going to make this work? And I looked at her like, what do you mean? It's like, well, you're going to play with it. And I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll figure something out. And we ended up, we're super lucky because a, a guy on the men's soccer team had actually just broken his wrist that week. And him and his dad had put together some like type of thing that he was allowed for soccer. So we kind of just copied that. But the thing was that I didn't, I had to do all this stuff on my left arm, which then ended up being about two inches thick on top of my cast. So then I had to do the same on my right arm. You know, I'm walking around looking like Iron Man and stuff with my, my two arms. But uh, I just remember doing going up into the gym for the first day after I had them. Like, there's no way this is going to work. And it ended up being fine. I mean... It was an advantage. Sometimes I think if I dove for a ball and it would barely touch my cast and it would just go like flying up in the air. But, but yeah, it was pretty crazy. I remember every ref would come up to me and be like, are you okay? You don't have to play if you don't want to. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's okay. So, yeah. So, and we'll put the picture because you actually have the picture <laughs> of you playing with the double padded forearms. Yes. So I didn't even, re- actually, I learned tons from you. Majority of my experience is with football. So football, obviously, you can play with a cast, but it has to be a soft pad over it. Yeah. Actually, Kupono kind of briefly mentioned this to me, and I was like, yeah, I really don't know what the rules are for volleyball. Like, why would you have to pad it if you're not going to come in contact? But I guess you could come in contact with your own teammate. So it sounds like you had to pad it where it would be soft enough for you to actually protect you and others. But also the pad would have to be functional where you could pass. Otherwise, it's there's no sense in wearing the pad, right? Yeah. So what was that pad? Was it just a foam pad over both arms? Um, you know, we taped it about two, three times. And then we put a metal splint. Okay. So, you know, when you sprain your ankle and mm-hmm. they take it out of the first aid, so we use that. And that was the platform. Okay. Um, and then we did the styrofoam you know, the padding over mm-hmm. it, taped it a couple more times, and then the same same thing on the right one. So it ended up working out way better than I ever would have expected. I always laugh about it still when I think about it. But What yeah. was the learning curve to actually play and pass with it? Oh, my gosh. Hours of just someone hitting down balls at me. <laughs> yes. And uh, it was oh, – I wish I had video of the first day because it just – I mean, you're – it's three or four inches that you're not used to. And then it just, I kind of had to learn how to pad it. And, you know, um, with my platform, not, not swinging at all, but 
kind of taking the impact of the ball in a little bit too with you because if you don't, that ball is just flying <laughs> where you have no control of it. Yeah, and, and I remember having to lift with the cast too and or like we'd be conditioning and we'd have, you know, the tire rotating the tires and stuff, be like struggling or burpees. But yeah, I tried. I still try to do as much as I could with it, but probably probably that's my one of my favorite stories for sure. I'm sure you were thrilled when it was time to take off the cast and just get back to normal function. It was disgusting actually i had it on for three months which i think is a lot more than you should have it on (laughs) yeah but i went home for christmas break i came back and i got it off a little bit they ended up taking it off in our actual um trainers facility and it reeked it was so gross because i'd been playing for two months with it just sweat building up and it was nasty but so that was majority of your season then. I mean, they probably just wanted to keep it on as a precaution. It sounds like you fractured your scaphoid, which is a concern yep. because it can't heal sometimes fully unless it really gets the right environment and condition. So you played with it pretty much the whole season. And I give you a lot of credit for that. <laughs> yeah, it was in October. So yep, um, most of conference actually was mm-hmm. in it. Now I, I see it sometimes. I'll see if I turn on TV some players will have it I'm like hey I would like to think that I started that but <laughs> yes so let's talk about I mean it shows a lot about you as an athlete you as a person to go through that experience and play and still be able to perform so I do want to dive into the competitive nature in you and where do you think this stems from and what can you give the listeners a little bit more of an idea of the competitions that you're doing, not only in volleyball, but we're talking about with everything going on. Well, I think I definitely got it as the youngest child. Mm -hmm. Um, Just always being around my siblings, wanting to play and do stuff. So I need to figure out, okay, if I'm going to join them, you know, I'm going to be as good as them or I'm not going to cry if I lose. So I think that started at a really young age. And nowadays, it's just, especially during COVID, I mean, we had a group of all Division One athletes together for four or five months, and it was just brutal. Because <laughs> we would play Uno, and then we'd play golf, and then we'd play how many times can you throw a water balloon and not let it pop? Or how high can you throw this water balloon? Just the games were endless and we're super into pickleball now. We always play with our aunties and we do not go easy on them. We are like, <laughs> you can't handle it, so that's on you. But it's, it's scary how competitive. Um, right now we're playing Catan, which is really, really fun. But definitely a couple nights where um caused lots of fights and haven't spoken for a couple days after Catan. <laughs> Everyone at the household, you guys definitely have kept yourself occupied when there was nothing to do. And oh, yeah. the competition actually sounds kind of fun. You know, a lot of these things out here, Kupono's side, of course, very enthusiastic when he came on the winning end of the stick. And then oh, out here, all of the complaints and the grumbles when it did not go so well. So it was like, oh, this is a lot of fun that you guys are having. Now, on that note, I have to ask your side of the story. Who's more competitive, you or Kupono? Oh my gosh. 
Uh, I feel like I obviously want to say him, but I know it's me. I already know it is. <laughs> He's, I'm a sore loser. I'm definitely a sore loser. I'll totally admit that. Um, if he loses, you won't hear about, you'll hear about it for the next two hours though. Like, oh, I should have done this instead of this. And, you know, you did that and I should have done this. And like, okay, you lost, just suck it up and let me, you know, rub it in your face. Yeah. But, but then if when, you know, we both lose to someone, then we're both kind of doing the same. Like, oh, you went easy on them or you did this. <laughs> Why did you tell them to do that? I could have won if you didn't do that. So, yeah, yes. I think both equally competitive <laughs> yes i that must make for some great like you said competing in all different types of games activities sports and all of that and before we i know you have a lot of things to do and this is actually after your full day of work so i do want to ask a few more things so after your collegiate career explain a little bit about what your decision was after that because you had a lot of success in college and did you want to go on and play and how much did the injuries actually weigh in into what you wanted to do and what actually was smart to do to take care of yourself uh, I definitely would have wanted to go play overseas for sure I think that's an amazing experience um, I have a little better idea um of what it would have been because uh, i had family that played overseas so i i did have an insight on it um and i know women's is a little is different than men's but ultimately it came down to my future and i thought that it would be best especially in regards to my back to to just stop while while i while i can and that it was a tough decision to make but i did I didn't want to risk the chance of my future with being active with kids and stuff like that. But if I would have pushed myself and played one or two more years, I just, I didn't think it would be worth it in the end. Yes. That's, it's good to hear your perspective on that too, because for me being on the medical side, being an athletic trainer, yes, we want the best for you right now, but that's typically what I'm trying to communicate and talk with every single client and athlete is what happens 10, 20, 30 years down the line? You know, how is your decisions and actions now going to affect those things in the future, right? So it is yeah. something that it, it's definitely not an easy conversation to have. It's a hard decision, but I think you are definitely handling it well so that you can still be active. And I mean, you are still playing volleyball, right? I, yes. I heard that you and Kupono even played in a co-ed tournament. I heard some of the stories, but I mean, that must have been fun and stressful at the same time. Um, but yeah. it sounds like you're very, you're enjoying all of these things. Is there anything you want to share about that co-ed tournament? I was very skeptical going in because I know how competitive we both are. And I'm not afraid to, you know, say what's on my mind. And I've seen him play in all these tournaments before too. So when I'm playing with him, I'm like, why are you hitting that ball out? That would, If you played with someone else, that ball would have been like on a 10 foot line. But it was, it ended up being really, really fun. I'm <clears throat> super glad that we did it. But little drama afterwards, I ended up having to go to work. We were undefeated all day and it just caused a little drama because we didn't get to play in the finals. But I still think, I still think we won. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately that it got cut short a little bit. And that yeah. was the last thing that I wanted to touch touch on is that okay so going through Seton Hall I mean 
you got to do what a lot of athletes strive to do, right? Get your education or at least a lot of your education paid for and still mm-hmm. play volleyball and do all of the things that you love doing. So what was it like balancing academics and being a student athlete? And what was your major? I majored in public relations, um, which a lot of people say is pretty easy, but I would, you know, disagree with them. <laughs> but it was, it was tough as being a student athlete is, a full-time job for sure especially with all the rehab that I had to do as well I definitely had to learn how to manage my time correctly how to prioritize as well which now that I I look back those are all key things that I use in my job now as an event coordinator so it ended up working out really well and I just you got to work hard to when you're a student athlete things are not just going to be handed to you you have to work hard you got to put in the hours hours in the gym, hours in the classroom and hours, you know, in the weight room and rehab and stuff like that. So I think for a lot of people, they don't necessarily have the drive, but you gotta, you gotta have the drive and the passion to succeed. Definitely. I think that's a great message to share with anyone that's looking to play sports in college. Is this something that you knew that you wanted to get into, like being an an event coordinator or what was kind of your plans after you graduated from college? Um, I knew I wanted to be an event coordinator when I was about a freshman in college. One of my former club assistants actually did something like that. And I, I realized how much I would enjoy that. You're in control, you're, you know, you're leading people, you're planning things. And that's, those are all key things that I really enjoy. And I think that I'm pretty good at. And again, it reflects back to to sports. Um, I was a captain in high school for three years. So a captain as a sophomore. And then again, in college, I was the captain my junior and senior year. So all the things I definitely think I learned so much being a student athlete on and off the court. I had two amazing coaches, Ali Matters and um, Ali Yeager. They really, they taught you to be a better person. They weren't just there to become a better volleyball player. They wanted you to be a better person when you walked out of that gym and out of that program, which to this day, I, I still use a lot of the lessons that they taught me. Yes, that's good to hear that they wanted to make you a well-rounded person, not just a better volleyball player. And for these events that you're coordinating, I mean, you're coordinating everything from parties to weddings to corporate events, right? Um, yeah. How is the stress and managing all of the details and having everything being done on time. Share a little bit about that. So the day of the event is always the most stressful because you can plan and do everything you can to have everything perfect. And then day of, you know, something's going to go wrong. I always have to think on my feet, which I actually love doing, but you just have to go in with the mindset of, okay, something's going to go wrong, but you're going to be able to fix it. And at the end of the day, your client's most likely going to be happy. So, and, and that's all that matters. There's probably a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of translation from sports and, you know, like preparing for a game and then preparing for an event because you just never know how things are going to pan out, but you can think on your feet, be flexible, adapt, and then hopefully it comes out according to plans. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, this was so great to hear your story. Is there any last words, 
the last thing that I would mention is that you are coaching now in Hawaii. You're coaching club volleyball. So you're yeah. kind of coming full circle, really paying it forward, helping the younger generation of kids. And you kind of mentioned some of the differences between Hawaii volleyball and volleyball when you grew up. But is there any message that you want to share to the athletes that you're coaching or anyone that's just listening to this that may provide some value of how to, you know, better themselves, how to deal with injuries or how to just progress in their sport? I would say just work hard and do the things that you can do. You know, you cannot control everything and have in your mindset set some goals of what you want to accomplish, whether it's in a week, a month or a season set those goals in the beginning, work hard, motivate yourself, you know, be a good teammate. And other than that, I mean, success should come easy to you if you do those things. Definitely. Is coaching something that you have a passion for or you foresee progressing or doing more coaching in your free time? I enjoy coaching. I will have to say mostly because I can jump in and just play with the girls. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely miss playing, but I am trying to share my wisdom with them. Mm -hmm. I think I had really good experience um, my junior and senior year with my assistant coach. Um, She definitely was a a mentor for me and she ended up helping me, you know, find my passion for work. And that's what I really want to do with these girls. I want to, you know, help them find their passion and, and to help them become a better volleyball player and for their future as well. That's great to hear. And I know that because of all of your experiences, you know, you're definitely providing that to the younger athletes, the next generation. And it's probably really fun for you, not only playing volleyball, but I'm sure there's never a dull moment. There's always things going on. Uh, There's always a fun group of players to coach. So it's really good to hear that you're helping out and coaching the younger athletes too. Overall, any last words? I mean, thanks so much for jumping on and sharing your story. No, thank you so much for having me and uh, hope this hope this turns out good. <laughs> this will definitely turn out good. And I, I mean, with all the athletes, I keep saying this with every guest, it seems like we, we're cramming in so much information into an hour and it, yeah. there's so much more things that we could have talked about and so many more things that I want to ask you too. So maybe <laughs> one day we'll have to do a part two. Maybe we'll do a part two with both you and Kupono. <laughs> Who knows? (laughs) But thanks again. Thank you so much for joining me. And we wish you the best with coaching and everything going on in the future. Thank you.